Hello, Chris here from Old Dirty Brastards. If you're a big fan of this podcast, you can support it through the ACAST support feature. You can give as little or as much as you like, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the description to support now. Thank you. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, producer Seb here. I just wanted to say thank you for downloading this podcast and also just to say that, uh, well, this was recorded a few weeks ago and as you know, lockdown rules are ever-changing, so sorry for any time-specific advice that is already outdated. Uh, But uh, there we go. Life's changing fast, isn't it? And we're all getting used to it. Anyway, we hope you're well and hopefully we'll be in front of you playing our instruments again soon. But in the meantime, please listen to this episode all about our cover of the Arctic Monkeys single, Are You Mine? Here we go. Hello and welcome to episode number three of the Old Dirty Brastards podcast. This week we are focusing on the single, Are You Mine? originally written by the arctic monkeys if you have yet to listen to it our recording get yourselves over to spotify or wherever it is you like to stream your music or go to our website and buy it if you so wish and then jump back in and then you can know what we're talking about so let's say hello to a few people we got in the room today so firstly he's the brains behind the whole podcast operation producing us through this episode it is mr seb philpot how are you doing seb you're right Hello. Yeah, I'm I'm very good, thanks. Yeah. You're looking good. Fitting very good. You're looking good. Oh, thanks. Well, um Natash. Tell you what, I've had two weeks off booze. Have you? And um what else? I've grown a moustache. It's a lovely, lovely moustache. My hair is continuing to grow. I don't know, I've been been enjoying life. It's been quite fun. That is good. That's what we like to hear. Nice. I think but I mean I eat a lot of chocolate. You've eaten a lot of that's really taken over actually. <laughs> Particularly the um what's the one called Marvellous um Med- medicine oh what the Cadbury's one mandolin. the Cadbury's one Ooh. yeah with jelly and uh, popping candy nice. oh my god that is yeah. my kryptonite so have you got you swapped out booze for chocolate or just yeah. was the chocolate always there because for me I think the chocolate's always mm. there I guess that was always there anyway Bombay Mix too oh nice oh the nice. sequel it's a bit of an issue, <laughs> bit of an issue. <laughs> Bombay Mix too yeah it's a great, it's got a lot of good songs in it. There's a really good scene, the big dance scene where they dance around in the traffic. <laughs> nice. But they just to... couldn't, couldn't live up to the Hyper-V Bombay Mix 1. No, Bombay Mix 1 set a real standard for Bollywood uh, movies about, about 
hors d'oeuvres. It's nowhere near as popular as the uh, as the remix, though. That's a, that was a number one hit. Pompey mix remix. Pompey yeah. remix. Pompey. The mum. The mum. The Mumbai mashup. Yeah. So. <laughs> God. All right. Okay. Cool. Um, moving on. Back this week to co-host. He is the co-founder of Old Dirty Brastards. He's my co-everything. It's Richard Turner. Hi, Rich. How are you? Oh, hello, everybody. I'm good. Yeah. Um. Really a pleasure to be here as always. Yeah. Have you had a good week? Yeah, it's been good. You know. As I said last time, looking after the little one, um, the weather. Wow, it's uh, it's a blessing in disguise, isn't it? You know, when you live in a one-bed flat, it's very hot on the inside, but a pleasure to be uh, outside under a shady tree. <laughs> yeah, two meters from everybody. Of course, of course, you must be socially distanced at all times. Um, and then here we are back again. Uh, producer of the single, producer of our first four singles of 2020. It's Mr. Johnny Abraham. How you doing, Johnny? You all right? I've got a hangover. Oh, yeah. I saw you on a little... <laughs> I saw you on a quiz last night, jumping in at the end. Was yes. it? Did you have I fun getting your hangover? I didn't answer any questions because I was <laughs> two and a half hours late. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd been busy. I'd been busy... Um, Emptying the stocks of Hophead from the the local spa shop. So, oh, wonderful! Ooh, very nice. Very so, nice. Yeah. Is it back? Is it all back there now? Uh, no, actually, Dickie just texted me to say um, he went this morning and and they're all gone. So, <laughs> uh, Bless him, poor guy. He lives the closest, but never manages to get his hands on any. Poor Bob. <laughs> yeah. Oh no, you're, you've got a dash off again, Johnny. That's it. Johnny's oh yeah, got a, you, Johnny, you've got a dash off again early today. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. As you did last week, um, I shan't pry into why. Ask not why or where. But uh, I, I'm just speculating. Are you off to maybe do another self-imposed marathon? I was going to say it's yeah. It's usually kind of uh, intense exercise related with me. <laughs> it'll be something it's some i don't know what it says on the diary today cardio cardio cardios <laughs> cardio uh, do some cardios. cardios pep pep cardio four or five cardios <laughs> um, i th- i think it's what they what the guys in the gym call leg day leg day don't skip it <laughs> never skip leg day no no nice. no i don't no 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 it's um yeah Anyway, um, I'm yeah. I'm not going to tell you what it is, but it's very special. That's why I've got to go. Oh, lovely stuff! <laughs> it's lovely very stuff. special, and it's a very big deal. <laughs> <laughs> it's time sensitive. Yeah, that's the only reason we could think you'd want to leave recording a podcast on a lovely Saturday day like this. Um, back again. Ooh. <laughs> oh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> sorry. We'll, we'll move on quicker, shall we? <laughs> Back again this week uh, to talk everything video. Um, it is the trombone extraordinaire of Old Dirty Brastards. It's Barney Philpart. Hi, Barney. Hello, mate. You're How right. are you doing? Are you hungover as well? I'm. I've got. I've got the same hangover as Johnny. We bought the same one. You brought the same. You yeah. bought into the same hangover. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was uh, the quiz was coming to an end, and then Johnny pops in, and uh, so I dedicated another two hours to trying to finish a bottle of rum uh oh okay. it was nice it was nice yeah um, friday night the friday night i always quiz. feel well i got to the end of my red wine and i always feel that you know a nice rum and coke is like dessert isn't it and that's sort of picked me up and um keeps you going a bit longer Absolutely. but yeah but then i woke up uh really early and I, oh anna woke me up in the middle of the night because her friend had a baby 
And so she showed me a picture of a baby. Oh, wow. Nice. Um, so I've been up for ages. Not compared to you uh, parents. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you manage to do lots of good stuff with being up early? Did you seize the day? Um, I, oh gosh. Oh, it's already gone. Can't it's remember. It's gone. Gone. Prepared for the podcast, it's been, it's been a lovely week since last week because uh, last week I, uh, I, I finished my, like my four tracks that I produced of ours. And so this week has been the first week in isolation where I've, uh, just done like whatever I want to do, and it's just been lovely. Yeah, yeah. I've just been nice. like noodling on the piano and mm. guitar, and no, it's very good, but it's really liberating, really nice. Uh, Wonderful. So you're a bit, a bit more chilled. Yeah, yeah. It's like a, it's like a new era. Lovely stuff. <laughs> anyway, awesome. Right, we've got some uh, some new faces, new voices uh, to the podcast this week. Um. If you have listened to the Wonderwall podcast and listened to the single Wonderwall, um, you may well hear a lovely, it's very silky, uh, popping bass trombone solo in there. Um, so joining us from what I think is arguably the uh, the nicest nation on earth, it's Mr. Daniel West, our resident Canadian. Hi, Dan. How are you doing? Well, hello there, guys. Yeah, nice to see you. Nice to join the um, All Dirty Bastards uh, weekly uh, sausage fest. Um, this is great. <laughs> oh, but, and um, I forgot to mention also, Daniel is uh, the arranger. He arranged "Are You Mine." You are the arranger of this track, um, so we're going to be hearing lots about his processes and thoughts about arranging later on. Um, but yeah, how's lockdown treating you, Dan? All good? It's been all right. Yeah, just um, compiling an enormous to-do list, you know, and then spend the whole day doing just shitloads of stuff. And then realize you haven't ticked anything actually off the list. So yesterday I like stained a bunch of garden furniture and trimmed back some ivy. I cleaned the oven. I cleaned the barbecue. I recorded some video for, you know, for the West End, um, for Alfonso, you know, the old MD from Phantom. And then um, then I realized none of it was on my to-do list. And I'm still like <laughs> stressed out about trying to do any of that. So. <laughs> Wonderful. But it's good. Yeah, this this uh, podcast has afforded me like two hours in the house without my kids and um, and wife around, which is really nice. But it means <laughs> I get to chat to you guys. Don't hold back, Dan. You mean well, you miss, about, you, you it's miss... probably been three weeks since I've been alone. So uh, you I know. think I think Canada has dropped just dropped to number three on the kindness. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just. Oh no. And f- finally, uh, making up the, the final member of our podcast today, it's our drummer extraordinaire, Rick Ellsworth. Hi, Rick. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. This is my first ever podcast recording and um, I'm a little bit nervous. Um, so, so nervous. I was actually the same as Barney. I've, I've been up since about three o'clock, not, not been able to sleep, like, like scouring Wikipedia for facts about Matt Elders and wow. Arctic Monkeys. Genuinely. Wow. Yeah, I, I have. Wow. I, I, and I was, I, I've, I've been conflicted this morning. I was like, should I dust off the tweed and like wear it and like sort oh. of like make it into oh. a bit of an event? Get yourself but, in um, the zone. And then I was, you know, yeah, you have all these things like going through your mind, like, you know, are you allowed to say fuck or bugger? And, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are we allowed to? Yeah, I think you just have. Davina's I... not until next week, so say what you want. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, thank you for having me anyway. Um, and, uh, yeah. 
Oh, it's Thank nice you. to... I've been uh, waiting for you to come join us because yeah. we've been talking about you a lot over the last two podcasts. Yeah. Oh, I listened to the first one <laughs> and just to allow me to be a little mushy, because um, uh, I haven't seen any of you guys since, what, since the end of February, beginning of March. Um, it's just nice to... I listened to the first one and it's just nice to hang out with you lot again and have you yabbering away in the background whilst I, you know, watered the plants and stuff. So, uh, Yeah. It's good. It's a nice oh, thing to be nice. nice thing to be doing. Oh. That's usually how it is anyway, isn't it, Rick? When we do gigs together, you're doing something practical and of use and the other like eight of us across the front are just jabbering about just being, like trying to count you in, you know. Generally yeah. being a bit loose. Yeah. And same <laughs> same goes for like our setup as well, which is like you have a fair bit to do pre gig and we don't <laughs> <laughs> we're we're like eating a chicken burger and, yeah. and chucking pints at each other and yeah. you're like I'm I'm trying to get me bloody snail out, mate. Yeah. Don't don't eat my burnt ends, please. Yeah. <laughs> you're the one person that if if uh, if you stopped at any point then the gig would would it would be uh, finished, uh, wouldn't see, it? If any of us stops, it, it wouldn't really well, matter. Well I beg to differ because I've 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 we, uh, do you remember the wedding that we played where the best man just managed to bowl over all of the iPads on the front row and we had to stop the tune because nobody knew it? <laughs> so that's not technically true. Yeah, that's, that's right. It's like, um, it's pretty even, actually. If, if you lost all of us, there'd be no gig. And if we lost you, there'd be no gig. I mean, I'd do my best. I think I'd lost about 10, 15 minutes before I was told to stop. <laughs> I think for the listeners, what we must sort of explain is that um you know the drummer is sat at the back of a band and they get the brunt of all the jokes and everything like that but actually i'm gonna say this now in public in a public place the, <laughs> Don't drum, say it, Chris. Don't the say drummer it. is the most important member of any band and rick well, that's a massive mistake man his fee's just gone up <laughs> oh my god i can't believe <laughs> i will raise him one pence um <laughs> <laughs> what? But um yeah, Rick Rick, you are you know, you are the MD of the show most of the time, aren't you? Like we look to you to sort of get everything going, keep it going. Um yeah, so there you are. I'll, I'll so be... if I have a bad gig, you guys have a bad gig. Exactly. Is that what you're trying to say? No, Rick, Big you, time. Nev- you never have a bad gig, Rick. Exactly. Correct. No, I've never heard of it. <laughs> Correct. Yeah, he paid me to say that. Correct. Yes. <laughs> it's that extra He's penny like the... he's gonna get. He's like the Michael Jordan. If if the Brasses were the Chicago Bulls of the nineties, uh, Rick is the Michael Jordan. And he's looking at like minutes in until we got a Michael I, Jordan. I remember um Raquel's a very I tall and thinking, bold. thinking actually, Rick, how you like you sort of um changed the band um a few years ago because <clears throat> we had I remember we What had are quite, you going to say? We had um <laughs> The last bloke was rubbish. Don't worry, it's a compliment. Um we had quite a negative review about five years ago where it, I don't know who wrote it, some student or something. It, it wasn't like exactly... It wasn't The Guardian. Important, no, it wasn't an important <laughs> review, but we saw it and um, we realised that, like, actually they would speak a lot of sense and truth, that we were dilly-dallying and dawdling between songs. And, like, sometimes mm. we just... <laughs> we just sort of huddle for five minutes between songs yeah. without... No, without starting, without, and no one counting anything in, like, and people were just standing in, in, um, 
Brooklyn Bowl in in the O2. Just like, <laughs> what is what is happening? And was then, this before the iPads? Was this when like everything it was, was yeah, the sheet? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And we used to open our pads up, and people were, oh, I have I haven't got the second page of. You'd have a sea bass there. Like, oh, mate, I don't have it. I don't have it. Yeah, or, or like, or you'd open your booklet onto the um, music stand and, and the entirety of the contents would just spill out onto the floor. So it was a sham. It was an absolute <laughs> shambles. And then soon after that, we were like, well, Rick just started being so um, on it and like just counting us in like maybe two seconds after we'd finished the last song. We just like straight to the next one. And it just created yeah. this like strong momentum. Uh, that we've kind of kept going since, and I really like that. Thank you so much. You just from the back of the uh, of the stage, you just hear a come on, <laughs> or a front bump, front bump, bump. You're the MD, aren't you? You're the musical director, basically. You just you keep the show moving. It's like it's kind of like sort of like it's just filling time, you know. You just like start a drum beat. It's like okay, right, well, just yeah. give them a bit of give them a bit of time just to get themselves sorted out. Let's talk to Mr. Johnny Abraham about his role in the production of Are You Mine? Um, this one's got a lot of swagger about it, Johnny. Um, was there anything different? I always ask this, don't I? Is there anything different that you had done, you did with this track um, to just sort of get it the way it came out? Um, yeah, uh, this time it wasn't, uh, you know, not especially different when it came to recording it. We, you know, I think... With with Rick at the start, we just absolutely smashed through those drums, and and there was a kind of as there always is. There's kind of a time pressure because we try and get lots done in a day. But um, I think with this track, it it certainly just helped it because it was like you strap in and then you go, really. Um, and I kind of guess that I wanted that to to extend to to the um, to the brass in that not being too picky realizing that there was going to be a lot of kind of distortion and tape saturation compression um and then with this one i um i i anytime anyone had a vocal line i isolated that melody and gave it its own treatment so the the um the vocal melody in this track uh is treated slightly differently from from the surrounding stuff um so so yeah it was uh a bit of a, a step on i guess from what we've done before but i think it's it's come out pretty well can i just pull you up on something there johnny because i i actually don't know what tape saturation means i'm not going to pretend to know exactly what it is either but i got a nice plug-in um by the name of kramer tape um and yeah basically what you can do with that plug-in is it's your yeah your your um you're kind of like digitally uh, create recreating the sound of a, of an old tape machine, so you have the chance to add a kind of like analog warmth to to that to the sound. There's options on it to kind of increase the noise, so you can add a sense of kind of air and warmth to 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 the signal. And you can also add, uh, there's a, a knob called Wow and Flutter, which is one of my real favourites. I think that's a funny name. but What a name. Um, wow. With the, the Wow and Flutter, it's almost like it, it warps the tape slightly. So you kind of, there's a little bit of randomness to the sound. And then you can also, using that same plugin, um, 
create this like slap back delay effect which works really nicely on um on those vocal melodies Yeah, you know in the chorus when there's quite there's quite a low trumpet playing, it's quite edgy coming through. I mean, what is? Did you use that on that? Uh, yeah, I guess I might have done almost certainly because I think everything's got the tape on it. Um, if it hasn't got the tape on it directly on the channel, then it's going through a bus with the tape. It's also that our, our old favorite friend, the CLA seventy six compressor. Um which I really like because it's not got many knobs on it. So I feel like it's quite a simple one. But with having that low stuff cut, uh, that's also that's also quite an effective thing. That's a different approach then um, to, to pick out what is the melody and I guess put that sort of front and centre um, and with with its own different effects on it, um, compared to maybe previous recordings that this band's done, where the melody might come from anywhere on the stereo spectrum, and, and, and would possibly have been more to recreate what it would be like to watch the band live. Mm. It's a different process now, isn't it? Yeah, I th- that I, you're implementing. I think it's just. I think part of the the key this time has been to. Because we've got this batch of eight new tunes and I've done some, Barney's done some and um, obviously everybody's spoken about it together. So it's just a case of trying different things and, and seeing how it works. But with this tune, when you listen to the original, you've got guitars panned left and right, bass and drums in the middle with the vocal in the middle. And it's it's kind of feels like it's got that that width. The guitars are given the width and then you've got this this vocal and also the backing vocals there's there's so many interesting things going on in the back of vocals either side that i felt like trying to i didn't use the, the track as a specific reference for for my mix an awful lot it was more of just a, a general sound but i thought I, I would try and do a similar thing and also in dan's arrangement he had that anyway so uh, as is always the case with brass heads arrangement sometimes you're playing a tune sometimes you're playing a backing like and that might be a backing vocal it might be a guitar part it might be a keys part whatever but there's there was a certain amount written into the arrangement already that just makes the mixing process a bit easier because it it knows what it is before it gets to me do you know what i mean it means all you all you end up doing really is like fine tweaking isn't it because actually a lot of the the mix is in in the arranger's hands yeah that's it that's Again, that's just something that's always the case with brassards. But just yeah, coming back to your your point, um, having like visualizing it this time round, I I saw the band more like on a stage, but with an open spot in the middle for whoever's singing at that time. So it's almost like people, if it's in a trombone, they're coming from the left. If it's from a trumpet, they're coming from the right, and they're moving into the middle to sing that bit of the tune and then they're going away again there you go <laughs> which is very it's very like kind of jazz clubby approach isn't it um cabaret okay yeah, cabaret yeah <laughs> but i think that thing that stuff has to happen doesn't it because you know you're getting rid of some of the different sounds we haven't got you know the we've got a whole a brass band trying to recreate something 
which has got you know voice, electric guitar, bass guitar, uh, you know, at times you know keys and things. So finding different ways of making it sort of interesting and you know certain sounds popping out of the mix. I guess that is one of your challenges as a producer. Yeah, and just thinking about that, I think it's the second verse where Dan just like it's almost like the width and the and the rawness and the and the kind of like visceral sound gets kind of sucked in um and kind of goes into that kind of like r&b sound in the second verse and 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 going much smaller there was a way of just finding contrast um and it's just for that it kind of goes super small and tight there's a specific instruction isn't there on that part Daniel, what did you write there? 2001, Dr. Dre. Yeah, he's definitely going for sort of a, yeah, like a, like a Dre vibe. Like when he, when he ran out of P-Funk stuff to sample, he just started kind of riffing on D minor for a while. I, I, I kind of wanted to go for that really like chilled out R&B West Coast rap thing, which I think Johnny got really well. He just absolutely nailed it. Didn't even need to speak about it. He just uh, completely nailed the vibe there, which is great. That's my vibe though, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone who knows me knows that. Yeah. <laughs> What's a P funk? Is that like a P bone? It's a bit like a P. Bone. <laughs> I think you don't know. An, an affordable beginner piece of funk instrumentation. Yeah, it's, yeah. For young musicians, I'm keen to know what is. Yeah, what what do they mean by the P funk? Oh, P funk is like <laughs> Parliament. You know, like George Clinton, Bootsy oh, Collins. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, and yes. all that first kind of chronic album, Dr. Dre, like just completely rinsed it. Like sampled every great groove from pretty much their whole catalog. And then after a while, I think he probably ran out of it, and he started writing his own stuff, which was just you know really cool, but like really tight synths, like really small with you know like that album, the Chronic Two Thousand and One with like Eminem on it, and it's uh it's it's pretty amazing stuff. It's pretty cool. He's a very rich man now, isn't he, Doctor Dre? Obscenely rich. Yeah, not a real doctor though. That's just unless someone's given him a doctorate from somewhere for being good at what he does. You can just buy those off the internet now. Do you reckon he can have minister swab tests? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what he's been doing during lockdown, yeah. He goes out, he gives the tests. Imagine Alex Turner listening to Are You Mine on Beats headphones. That is a marriage of... Oh, that's I, the don't, marriage I don't know. Oh, I don't know, yeah. Oh, I, <laughs> I don't know if Alex Turner would like it. I'm not sure. <laughs> he might have, might, have, might have mellowed in his old age. Who knows? We haven't really been um, sort of shoving it down the original artist's faces as we might have done in previous years, have we, these releases? Or have we? What, you mean on social media? Yeah, or yeah, like we've released like Paranoid Android and we kept going, Tom, Tom, <laughs> Tom, look what we did. did we? Look what we did here. I think shouting shouting into the abyss with yeah. no, nothing coming back, yeah. not even an echo coming back. I think we've learned <laughs> that. It's best just to target our fans. It's not... It's not a good look. You need, you need unless they respond positively to your pub, very public yeah. um, shout out. It's just pretty embarrassing. Yeah. Oh, actually, didn't we get um, a nice thing a couple of times from Kizia? 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 Hideaway Kizia. lady. Yeah. Hideaway lady. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, she's she great on it. social nice. media, isn't she? Yeah, she's sort of uh, retweeted or reposted on Instagram a couple of times. I think. Yeah. She's, well, uh, she seems quite forthcoming in her like, you know 
person. She doesn't need to be mysterious like like Radiohead seemed to be. Have hmm. we got a? Sorry, I can see on my screen we've got a bonus visitor here. He 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 insisted. I can hear his claws scratching on the door. And I was like, oh, for God's sake! It's You're Rick. talking about your dog, not not a partner. Right? <laughs> I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about Vicky. Yeah. <laughs> Here he is. Okay. Here's Bert. I bet. He's great, isn't he? Uh, Has he got a northern accent yet? Good after boy. being up there so long. He's got a northern bark. Yeah. Woof. Bloody woof. bloody woof. 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 Fucking woof. He comes in, he just sort of like when I'm like doing my teaching and stuff, he comes and sits on my hi hat pedal and I'm just like, oh for God's sake. And it's just it's not exactly very big in here. So uh, you know. There you go. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. <laughs> That's dedication. Rick is sat behind his drum kit for the podcast. I know. It's just in case I needed to play anything. Oh, you yes. Know? Oh, oh, you're offering. Awesome. Yeah. I've, I was, I've been, I, you know, I've done, I've got like an entire sermon to like do on <gasps> Are You Mine? Oh, this is That's so because you've been up since three in the morning. I'm so excited yeah. to hear it, Rick. Must be nice. This is great. great. It's amazing. Yeah. But, um, Can't believe you haven't thrown in a few da dum yeah. I, no, not yet. Not yet. Not I, yet. I, I, I was contemplating, like, you know, writing clang on a piece of paper and then just putting it up. <laughs> whenever you lot name dropped anything or whatever. There you go. Hey, i got to say that that clang thing is finished now, isn't it? It's clang's over, is it? Surely this whole clang thing is finished now. What? Do you mean no one's got anything to clang or? Well, it's the only thing you <laughs> well, can do is clang. It's like, it's look the only how thing, great I am. The only, <laughs> the only out, outlet for our our musicianship is online so i mean it's the only place you can talk about anything so i think it's all right yeah. isn't it? we're all on an about... equal field aren't we it's an equal playing field yeah i mean does the wider public even know what the clang thing is or was I... the clang thing sort of has come about i think amongst musicians and comedians or, i think daniel trodden you know... invented it i'm pretty sure that was trodden <laughs> kicked the whole thing off i think oh, it was nice. nice maybe basically nice at the start. i think it became poisonous and negative <laughs> Yes, and it had to end. I just think it's fucking hilarious, yeah. to be honest. I just love that. I love going Rick, Rick is still a big fan. Still a time and a place. Yes, there definitely is a time and a place. And so, I, to explain a clang, it's uh, it's basically a name drop. I think it's offensive big, uh, to pans. <laughs> yeah, it's true. <laughs> I did a really great corporate for La Crusade last year. Clang, clang. There you go. More of a smash. <laughs> We, whoa, oh, we, 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 which one was that? Was that the floor, Tom? Yeah. yeah, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. Yeah, there you go. Love the drums, but it, but it, well, it, it the thing was, it just it shamed people into being embarrassed about any success, which meant that people just started lying about what they were doing, which is mental. It's like, Untru- untrue, I think, because I think it's more... It, it, it Can you stop recording the podcast while you're bent over, Rick? Sorry. <laughs> untrue! <laughs> it's un- it's untrue. Are you it's doing a be- hit session? <laughs> yeah. I've got Joe Wicks on in the background. No burpees during the record, please. <laughs> oh, dear. What are you saying? Untrue what? I think it's untrue. It just tells. It just reminds people to be a bit more humble about their bragging. Oh no, absolutely. But it also started making um, people who were very deservingly proud of what they might have achieved. They, it made some some people who um, might be like of a quieter disposition and a more mellow disposition. It made them embarrassed to even mention that they'd like 
you know, like handed in their dissertation or so. Like they'd they'd oh, finally clang. got they'd Honestly, finally got their masters yeah. or something like that, and <laughs> and someone would be like, no, no, nothing. I'm I'm sorry, I even spelled. It's, <laughs> it's mad. Like you you meet another musician, you go, oh, you're up to, and you go, oh yeah, you know, you know, this bits and, that. and bobs. That's and... all you ever say, bits and bobs. You never actually say what you've done. Yeah. You go what? And some well, of the things that the point, if you said, yeah, I was um I was just working. <laughs> If you even said the word work, it's just like, yeah, I was, um, what were we up to this week? Oh, I was, um, I was, uh, working Grang! straight away. Oh, it's just a bit of fun. <laughs> fine line. It's a fine This line, guy's, this is what fine stage line. is like. Rick's at the back going, shut up, you rude. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. Oh God! <laughs> God, fear got into me. <laughs> Straight back. <laughs> just let me take an immediate intake of breath. <laughs> what, sticks, <laughs> what sticks do you use, Rick? For what? What a sound you just got out That's of there! Massive. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Well, you know, it's. Um, I've hey. thought about my sound a lot in my spare room. Yeah. So. Um, it's like you just hit two and trees together. You've got a tea towel. You've got a tea towel over your snare drum. I've thought about the lot. That's a, I, I like everything. that as well. Rick, I wanted to, now you're here, I wanted to talk to you um, on this podcast about your um, uh, reputation as a, a no-nonsense guy, right? You've got no-nonsense, okay? And this represents itself in the recording process where where when me and Johnny are, were producing these and, and we'd record people and, you know, it could be hours and stuff with just sort of getting nice takes out of people. You... I was at your drum sessions. You walk into James's garage, right? Three, t- three times round, and I'm off. <laughs> you just bash through I it. Have the, I have this rule: right? three, uh, three full takes, and off, and you go. You just, you're not interested. I, I, I'm, sh- I'm surprised that brass players aren't really like this either. Is it? I think three is the max. I'll peak three after the third one. If it's not better than the, the first two, then. I agree. I think it works. I think it'll it'll go. I'll go over the hill. I'll be past the peak, yeah. and the R rate will be out of control. Yeah, yeah. Just and also, what's two takes. <laughs> what's really nice for like us as the producers, like fiddling around with that in in um, Logic, like later, is that like you just have this this take that has no weird yeah. cuts in it or anything like that. It's just <laughs> it is a one take, and it has the same energy throughout, and it, it's uh, it has a consistency and a continuity. I, I like would. It. I would say though that is an incredibly nice thing to say to me. Um, that oh, I can, shit, I can do, do such that. a thing. But <laughs> but we have been playing these tunes for an awful long time, and there's there's a a real sense of fami- I've got a real sense of familiarity yeah. with 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 all of them. And the other thing is 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 that I just like like I I I really you you guys are, allow me to just play the tune, and you're not too like so sort of particular about what i had you know like doing the actual what is actually written i just you know when i look at a, when i look at the arrangements it's almost like a bit of a it's, it's a bit of a blur in some respects because i'm I, I can hear the tune and you just just play it you know mm. just just go for it and when when i i was first down to record it the 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 tunes that we're releasing uh in january and um i I mean, going into James's garage, he's got that place pimped out. And it's, I mean, not to sort of, I don't need to expand on it. It's an absolute pleasure going in there because you could, you know, he's a drummer and he's he's really thought about everything. So I can just sit down, you press play, you press record and bang. 
And it was just such a lovely thing to do. I was sweating my tits off in there. Though. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, what a we day you've had. Bloody. I know, I must have played like, I must have done like 30 takes. And I know that it, but we, did, we did like seven, eight tunes, didn't we? So there's, yeah, did everything like 30 takes round. Well, then we found a little um, problem on a bass drum and we had to, yeah. you had to quickly redo a load. But you just uh, nailed you know, it. You was like, right, I sort it, let's go. But it's fun and, you know, it's like... That was amazing. You know, it's... it's, But that, you're, you know, it's, it, it sounds awfully mushy and everything, but, you know, I'm allowed to do what I feel I can do best. Mm. Uh, well, we don't want it. It'll be... And because so that's, because that's we fun. haven't got a clue. <laughs> we don't know what you do. <laughs> yeah. We haven't got a clue otherwise. <laughs> Yeah, and you guys don't question it. Well, yeah, so, yeah. I, th- I think you're you're not the sort of person to be caged, are you, Rick? I think it's better just to let you out and let you go, go for it. It's just yeah, yeah. That's, that's but you, you hear that vibe come through on a track like "Are You Mine?" I think like it, it, um, the Arctic Monkeys shows for you are like they're, they're like they're basically like a drum. It's like a drum album almost, isn't it? Like Matt Helders is yeah. so fantastic, and so it's just like you are just in heaven on those gigs. And so getting yeah. to record Are You Mine, you get to like put a bit of that on, on record and, and hear that uh, exciting drum playing from you. So it's... Um, I think the thing, yeah. the interesting thing about Matt Elders, um, if I may, um, is um, he, um, I think he started off in that band. I don't, I think it was, it was sort of, I don't think he started out playing the drums and I think he was more a guitarist. I mean, just like over the albums since the, I mean, that first album is like, he's got such a musical approach to his drumming language. I mean, you you know, all of those, you know, like, I bet you look good on, you know. You just know it. And so why did you make us write the parts um, out? It's all, it's just so, it's such a musical part. And he channels two of my biggest influences, Ringo and Bonham, John Bonham. So um, in my insomnia, um, <laughs> I found uh, the isolated drum track uh, on YouTube of Are You Mine? And it's just, it's just unbelievable. Like mm. it's, and it just sounds like, it sounds like what John Bonham would, it's sound, the drums sound like it sounds like John Bonham's mm. drums. Well, funny you should say that, Rick, because maybe now we'll take a moment to isolate your drum track <laughs> on this with the Ringo influence um Ringo is like his approach to drumming and riffs I mean you know a Ringo beat you know whether it be you know you know that sort of thing comes it's the same as you know that is a you immediately know what it is so it's just amazing isn't it two sorts of approaches that he has um yeah, it, and yeah, like you said, it's a dream. To, it's, it's a drummer's dream. I mean, I can't just onto our, you know, our future projects. I don't know if people know what we're going to be doing in the future. Um, 
Silent Alarm. I mean, that's a serious drummer's album. But um, yeah, well, that's it. Out of out of the sort of the five that we've done, so or we're sort of working on at the moment. You know, you've we, we've got um, Arctic Monkeys with Matt Helders, and then you know, sort of you've got the Killers, and their drummer's pretty awesome as well. Yeah, he's yeah, Ronnie he's Benucci, great. Yeah, and then yeah, obviously doing the Block Party one as well. There's three really, you know, they're. You can often tell if a band's got a good drummer because they'll just stand out and there'll be something about it. Obviously, you know, no offence to the Oasis and um, uh, Strokes one that we did, but they're not so drum-led. The drummer hasn't had such a massive influence on what they do, whereas these ones, these guys, you know, are seriously good. You know, like you say, like with that their yeah. first album, the first very first thing you hear on the Arctic Monkeys debut album is Matt Helders just coming in with that massive... Yeah, you know, exactly. And he's really good. So, I mean... We're very lucky that, you know, we sort of class you in that kind of league, Rick. Aww. And we wouldn't be able to do half the stuff we do if if you weren't up to the up to the job. Um, so, you know, you've got, when, when we get depths in, it's very, it's, you know, you're a very hard act to follow. But we're very lucky that we do have drummers that can come in and, and sort of keep oh, yeah. pace with what you do, um, which is great. But, yeah, I mean, the drums that you do put on here just have such a, a bearing on what we do. That's why you know. That's why we let you just do your thing, because otherwise, what's the point? We may as well just—it's not. But I think that that aren't aren't the best bands. Doesn't isn't that isn't that where the best sort of sounds come from? Though you know, you talk about the Killers. I'm I'm pretty sure he was allowed to do his own thing. Yeah, I'm know? sure. I can't imagine Brandon Flowers Oi. like going. Uh, can you just uh, sort of? Change? He would have been kind of on the ground floor of setting up the whole tune. You know, like yeah. I think, I think if you don't have like the the drums in quite near the start of the whole like writing process you're just gonna have something a little bit off kilter you know and, and if people don't want to kind of dance to it or or you know bob their heads along it's not really gonna go very far mm-hmm. is it i don't think exactly yeah. guys it's been a pleasure oh, Johnny. i don't have to get, get off now um thank you thank you everyone have a nice day Cheers, Johnny. have a lovely one uh rick and dan it's great to see you i haven't seen you guys in a long time seen a bit great to see you Johnny, well yeah. Rick, Thanks, I can't Rick. wait to hear more of your sermon. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah. Nice one, guys. Johnny. Bye, Take Johnny. care. Have, Have a nice Well, shall we slide across? Thank God he's gone. <laughs> Never <laughs> liked the guy anyway. Um, shall we slide across for a little bit? And let's talk to uh, our in-house Canadian, Mr. Dan West, about uh, oh, about yeah. arranging this track. Um, sure. As we say, it's a lot, a lot of swagger and uh, a lot of swagger in this track. Um, was there anything, you know, when you were arranging it, what, was there any sort of process you went through? Is there anything you really wanted to get into the arrangement when you first started? I, um, I definitely wanted to get that swagger, you know, it was, it was tough to, when we were first rehearsing it, um, get the feel just right, you know, like have it, cause it's kind of laid back. It's right, right on the back end of the beat, but if it loses the, the, the forward momentum, then it, it's, it's sloppy and flobbly too. So it's sort of like this driving laid back. Uh, I, you know, imagine driving this huge Cadillac Escalade is what I'm thinking of. Some monster truck that's just like hogs the whole freeway in LA. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm just basically paraphrasing what happens in the video. There, <laughs> but um, it's... Um, oh, oh, wait, that's not my idea. That's just what I saw. Oh, wait, yeah. <laughs> I guess that's what I saw on the video. But no, that, that's kind of what it feels like to, to play it and perform it as well. And just like... Because the the sort of intro riffs in in the trombones, like we kind of got to get the feel right, like between the drums and the trombones, we got have to drive it, but then also keep it laid back. So 
Yeah. I I really wanted to do this track like since I heard it when because we the band kicked off like uh Brasters kicked off around the time this track had been out for about mm. a year I think. And I, I always thought god I, re- I really want to arrange that track. And I, I feel like it took a lot of convincing everybody to actually get a chance to do it. But um I feel like it was uh, hopefully it was worth it, but um I think yeah, most, been, most indie pl- stuff took a lot of convincing until we did these shows, didn't it? Didn't it? Yeah. Well, I guess like this with you doing this one, it's kind of the same um, kind of situation that Hoppo was in when he did Wonderwall. He's like, right, I really want to do that. I've got an idea. Leave it with me. And then you on this one, you were like, oh, can I really, do, I really want to do this one. Um, leave it with me, you know, like, and so I've got, you know, just asking like, do you, do you find it easier to work on things that you're into? Like if, if you sort of, if, if you've really got an idea for something and you really like it, obviously, I mean, it's going to be easier because you've, you've got ideas, but if you were given something to arrange, do you find that a lot harder or? It does tend, uh, that makes it more difficult. I think, I mean, like with this one, as I say, I, I love this track since it mm. kind of came out and, and then, you know, I'd be listening to it, say, on a train or something, and in my head, you can't help but put sort of like the the Tetris building blocks of the brasses together, and like, how would I arrange this if I were going to do it? You know, and so, so in a way, when I came to do it, it was sort of like half arranged in my head anyway, of like where I'd put certain sounds and when I'd, I'd drop the texture out or when I kind of wanted to maybe beef things up at the end and add a, add a bunch of dense harmony to it or counter melodies and things. It was It was sort of like I'd probably, in a way every time I listened to that track would arrange a little bit of it. So compared to a, maybe doing a track, which I wouldn't have chosen to do, but got assigned to me, it, it's, it's much easier when it's a track you, you know, and mm, love. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think that, that kind of really shows, doesn't it? Cause as you said, Chris, um, both Wonderwall and Are You Mine, they're sort of, they're, uh, the encores, aren't they from mm. the album tracks? So they're ones that people have just been like, Oh God, I have to do this. You know, they're just so inspired. And uh, you can, I think you can really tell, you know, you get really interesting takes on, on the covers rather than someone being like, oh, yeah, I have to do this because the band's playing this album. And, yeah, just well, that's true, really true, interesting true, point, true, yeah. Sort of true inspiration. Yeah, the encores are often so well arranged because uh, they have to be, they just have to be done. They can't be left out. Well, I felt with this one, I think I even said it in, in the email chain because, yeah, a, lot of, a few people weren't sold on having it in there. And I was, I was like, you know, ringing everybody up and be like, come on, I really like, we got to do Are You Mine? Because it's like, oh, it's like the second most streamed track or something. But I think I signed off one email being like, come on, guys, just l- let me arrange it. And then I'll show you, I'll show you this is, this is what it's about. And then also the, that put a bit of pressure on myself to actually have a good arrangement. Because then if it was pants, it'd be really embarrassing. But of, of like the other bands that you kind of listen to regularly, would you say that there's anything that's kind of come to the forefront in that arrangement uh, of Are You Mine? You know, something that sort of directly inspired it. We talked to Johnny earlier about the sort of R&B aspect of it, but I um, I thought it'd be great to really go for this sort of West Coast kind of L.A. Um, skateboarding. <laughs> yeah, skateboarding, uh, kind of purple tinge to it, you know, uh, get Toby Street in the mix. No, I, I wanted to go, but I wanted it to be sort of L.A. because I think what they recorded this album kind of, an album or two after they they'd first gone to LA and I know uh, humbug you know was produced by Josh is it Homme Seb or is it Ohm? Homme yeah it's officially Homme I think Homme well it's, yeah produced by the Queens of the Stone Age's um, mastermind Josh Homme and he um, he really kind of 
beefed up their sound, in my opinion, from the first two albums, which were which were great, amazing albums. But they moved to LA for a bit, and the, the sound just got. They, they used all this vintage equipment. It sounded really warm, but also like gritty, and it, it was like going back in time a little bit. And Alex Turner's vocal style kind of got a bit more. I get yeah, richer, like kind of more mature, I think. And um, so by the time you got to AM, they, it, I felt like they were they were full on in the sort of American West Coast vibe. And uh, I wanted to go even more West Coast, so I wanted to get sort of some like Dr. Dre kind of feel to it, as I mentioned. So yeah, for like the second verse of Are You Mine, it it certainly goes into you know pretty much hip hop. Mm-hmm. I'd say it's a good point, though, isn't it? I think the sound of the Arctic Monkeys just changed significantly was it was it uh was it humbug that the first album that they did with josh homme yeah yeah it just became so much more muscular didn't it in a way yeah that's, that's how that's well that's how that's how i would describe it anyway they definitely beefed up the sound i think it was um yeah and you could you could definitely hear a queens of the stone age sort of influence coming in from there yeah for sure i know that you're a big fan of wolf parade which i think are a canadian band um I think I was sat in your garden when you were doing a bit of arranging on Are You Mine, and I think there was a particular drum pattern or something. Tell me, tell me if I'm making this up. But no, you're absolutely something. right. Yeah, Wolf Parade are like this Canadian band that I think I'm one of probably like fifty thousand fans in the world. But they're, they're, I, I love them to bits. They're, they're amazing. And there's this one bit. Um, I basically I took the bridge, and for some reason, you know, Rick wasn't that pleased about it, but uh, kind of put it in sort of like this compound like triplet meter so whose idea was it to swing the bridge yeah but, um, <laughs> is, that, is that your impression of my accent <laughs> whose fucking idea was it but yeah the sort of culmination sorry, sorry the culmination of the bridge just before the, like the the sort of trombone breakdown thing it, it it really ends up being quite like wolf parade like it's sort of like maybe one of their earlier albums where they, they went really prog and I think they must've been taking some psychedelic drugs and it, it sort of gets, yeah, it gets a bit more prog rock and, and intense right before dropping down to just sort of the trombones playing the the guitar solo. Yeah. Cause then there's that massive bit of, I don't know, we sort of describe it when all the trumpets are just on their own, all the drums drop out and it's just the trumpets and they're doing that bit. We, we sort of describe it as like the hypnotic brass sounding bit. But it's, it, well, I, mm. I don't know, it's not really it, is it? Is that part of the West Coast sort of sound you're going for? Is that like, let's make that sound a bit hypnotic brassy? With that, all that, because we talked before in the other podcasts about how we've sort of gone from sometimes you have people playing on their own and if there's more than one instrument of the same instrument playing together, then we're kind of like, that's not necessary, don't need that, just have one instrument and that's fine. But then we've talked also earlier in the podcasts about how if you are going to put all the instruments together, like, you know, all the trumpets playing at the same time, you've got to use it sparingly, but you've got to know when to drop it. And I think this is a prime example of that being done. Like you've got all the trumpets playing together and it sounds really like really beefy and, you know, again, it's just full of swagger and really skillful because there's no drums or anything. Um, Yeah. I really, I'm, I really like that bit in particular. So where, because not not long after that you get the sort of last chorus where all the trumpets are suddenly in like this really dense harmony um uh and it's really intense really loud and yeah so in the, in the final verse basically the trumpets just get this unison 
solely of the it's it, it, it's sort of like what happens on the track where it's just alex turner alone like every, the whole beat drops it's just alex turner delivering you know some amazing lyrics as well which obviously we can't provide but um i thought kind of textually to have all the trumpets really intensely like relatively quietly to how we normally play playing this sort of intricate rhythm which took a while in rehearsal to get together and i felt i was like oh god am i gonna have to str- like scrap it and just get one person to play it but everyone got it together and I, th- I think it's really it adds this kind of intensity to the arrangement that then when everything gets kind of into higher gear you know a few bars later it really it's pretty effective i think yeah it really kicks back in doesn't it uh, and then what you've got the trombones doing sort of all at different places throughout the um the arrangement you've got us sort of you've got us acting like train chainsaws pretty much at some points yeah. in it but i mean it's so, so much fun to play it's great that you can sort of when you get an arrangement where you can just do these bits where you've just got to really give it some otherwise it's not going to have the effect you need like that's fantastic it's one of the one of the things i really like about playing the arrangement it's, it's cracking well, in my heart of hearts i'm always going to be a trombonist first really like uh and then musician second so, uh... <laughs> what's interesting about this one is that you is your one of your arrangements i think it's one of the few arrangements where there isn't a bass trombone solo in it <laughs> well it's always my sort of philosophy that if i didn't give myself the tune nobody else would so um, not true but that sort of changed. not true anymore not true anymore but early on it was like you know i'd in our early arrangements i'd often be stood there with like 38 bars rest and uh trying to look you know like just basically shuffle or something like do some kind of like terrible dad dancing for 38 bars hoping nobody noticed that hey that guy in the end he's he's, he's not doing anything yeah or, <laughs> or you just end up like an octave above the tube of the whole song yeah oh yeah Sorry. that's always terrible as well yeah it's always bad <laughs> And also, you probably actually had a thirty-eight bar rest because no one put any rehearsal marks or anything. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that a is that a bass trombonist's pet hate that you know just like being like in unison with a tuba? I don't mind it really. It just it just depends. It's nice to have some variety, you know. But um, good to have some places to breathe too. That's always a bonus. But um, yeah, I've enjoyed. I especially enjoyed like the Arctic Monkeys project because. Yeah, everybody sort of, for whatever reason, ended up giving me like a little quiet melodic refrain to play. And it was, and I love that album so much. So it was like every time we do that gig, I mean, it is, you know, we, when we do the, the Arctic Monkeys first album in its entirety for, for brass, it's like my, I think musically my favorite thing to do because it's so much fun, man. It's really great. I hope we get to do it again soon. <laughs> Fingers crossed. Fingers, Fingers crossed. crossed. We can all get out there and play at some point. But yeah, I think, uh, well, Daniel, you know, that's what you've made your point and we've all taken it on board because I've, I've been very guilty about not, um, not, not really knowing what to do with the bass trombone sometimes. If you're working with a tune that's quite sparse, you just got this extra trombone down there. It's like, well, you're not a tuba, but you're not a trombone. I don't really know. But the more you sort of put your tunes out there and stuff like that, you just go, yeah, actually... Dan, Dan can do anything. It's fine. Just let's give him the tune. It's great. You know, it just gives you that other option where to sling a tune occasionally, which is brilliant. Or if you want to bulk things up, you know, if, if you've got one person, it, I, I quite like having like a, a trumpet on the melody and then just maybe having it in another, in a trombone doubled, like just because it's the two different textures. And uh, mm. I mean, yeah, as you say, sometimes it's not great for saving chops on a gig if we've got a really long, long function or something. But I think it's pretty effective to have, you know, try, we, we're so limited with what options we have in brasses because we don't even have really mutes we can bring or use. So 
So you got to just try different textures out and see what kind of cuts through to the audience and what what suits the track, I guess. Mm. I think early on when we started arranging um, years ago, um, quite often we'd we'd write with the tuba playing the bass line and then think, well, he needs to have a rest, so let's give it to the bass trombone for the next four bars. And it'd go back and forth between the tuba and bass trombone. Just And we think, well, that's, that's kind of fair. But then actually in a gig, uh, every four bars... Um, I mean, this is no slight on you, Daniel, but the, the arse would fall out of it because you haven't got that subby tube. Well, I don't have the microphone shoved it. straight in my belt like the tube again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and <laughs> so you actually realise that the bass trombone and the tuba actually full, fulfil very different roles within the uh, within the band. Well, especially like and in the UK, the 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 bass trombone is a lot more like a trombone than say in in the states. There's a, lo- a lot of players. Well, I'd say, you know, me playing in Brastards about 15 years ago before I moved over here, um, that I, w- I w- that would have been perfect for that because I basically just sounded like a really edgy tuba. So you'd have, it'd be, <laughs> right. it'd be a lot more kind of uh, apropos. But, yeah. but now I think over here, the, the bass drum is really like an extent, it's just a, a larger trombone, really. Yeah. I, I'm, I mean, the, the lots, lots, of, um, lots of film music uh, uses... Um, you, you'll often get uh, a tuba, but then you'll have uh, a bass trombone, often a contrabass trombone. And you you play on a lot of recordings. Actually, it's quite um, interesting to mention, like you know, some Marvel films and some Disney stuff you've been on. Um, oh, Dan, please tell me you're on Tenet. Th- oh no, what's that? What's Tenet? It's the new Christopher Nolan. Oh no, I don't know. Has, has it come out? Have they done the music? I don't know. I saw it? the trailer yesterday. It started with a big um, contrabass trombone note. And I was like, oh, oh no! Oh, do you think oh. it's Hans Zimmer? Probably it must be Zimmer doing that. It'll be Zimmer, yeah, yeah. Oh mate! Oh no, that's not me. I wish. I wish. <laughs> Sorry, Zim. But um, I don't know. You've done a lot of those sessions, Daniel. Has, has any of that sort of found its? Has anything you've learned from doing those sessions sort of found its way into your arrangements? I'm sort of finding that now, currently, that, you know, we're in lockdown, and I'm just sort of messing around with Logic and recording myself and. You know, I'm fine. I've, I did a track the other day. It was, you know, stupid, but like seven, set myself, myself overdubbed about seven times. And on the contrabass drum, like the lowest note I can possibly play, like really edgy. And in addition to being really fun, I do think it's quite effective texture. And there's a reason why a lot of composers, a lot of these film composers, if I think people would be shocked if they went to the studio and saw the ratio of sort of trombones to trumpets are oftentimes, you know, you'd get like, you know, like Hans Zimmer on Dunkirk, for example. I think he had, um, sorry, he had, um, I think he had twelve trombones. <laughs> and I still wasn't one of them. Oh mate, had, there were about sixty-four double basses as well. My wife was very annoyed. Oh mate, it's it insane. Yeah, it's, it's sad when you realise like that was going on and you didn't get the call. But I think I sort of just like I, I slipped on the bottom rung of the ladder and got to play a bit of a uh, bit of contrabass trombone with everybody. And yeah, there was like six like six bass trombones and i think four of them were doubling contra or at least maybe maybe it was more than that maybe it was more than that. it was it was ridiculous sound but then you hear it and it just sounds you know if you listen to the film it just sounds like rich and lovely and all the textures behave a lot more like synthesizers and things because people can stagger breathe and and mask um you know if you've just got one bass trombone and you've written stuff like Hans Zimmer writes oftentimes it you know you, you can hear a lot of like gaps in the sound and breaks in the sound because people have to breathe a lot to, to make that noise well Hans Zimmer he, he's he's a synthesizer guy isn't he that's where he he um he started off doing that and and um developed his sound world 
from playing keyboards he knows everything there is about about synthesizers and and all that um there's a great thing uh, uh masterclass.com there's a uh, you might have seen that on advertised on the internet but um he, there's a whole hours long of him talking about how he writes his music um and uh, yeah it's very interesting but it's it's interesting though that the, the bass trombone and the contrabass trombone has become such a, an important sound in uh, film music of the last sort of 15 20 years well, my my first teacher I, I think i remember um i was doing something with a youth orchestra i was doing the planets and in one of the movements there's this there's this huge culmination of, uh, which one i can't remember exactly what this is showing my my terrible memory but um there's this massive bottomy like huge kind of low note in the bass trombone and i think it's on top of the tuba as well but um I was. I went to my teacher. I was worried about sounding maybe a little bit too aggressive on it. He said, "What are you talking about? You know, you're the bass drummer. You're the king of the shit. You're the king of the shit." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think that's kind of an apropos thing to say about the bass trombone. I don't. I've said apropos now twice in this podcast, but um, it's just it's edgy. It's loud. It's a bit flatulent, you know. And that, I, I suppose that's what kind of drew me to the instrument in the first place. That's the thing people want from a bass trombone that's the thing of it isn't it yeah. they write it because they want and that's why you know it, in a lot of trailers you'll just hear like a yeah. because it, it just it immediately sets the mood mm. you go oh, okay i know what sort of film this is yeah yeah it's a kind of a shorthand and long may it continue yes, long may mate. it continue yes, mate lovely stuff I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. So if we move forward a bit, obviously with each of these singles, 
Um, you know, we're trying to make it as accessible as possible. Um, so, you know, with each one, there comes a video um, to make sure that your people that are on social media have got something to look at and listen to at the same time. Um, and obviously, once again, as we discussed last week, we're in lockdown. So we can't go out and film ourselves making videos. And with the Wonderwall video, Barney, we were all thinking about it. And then Barney piped up. I was like, yeah, oh, I've got a brilliant idea. Off he went, found some footage, came back. There we were. And it's almost fair to say that it was kind of similar to this one, wasn't it, Barney? Like you've, you've, well, no, I, I'll let you go tell them where you got this footage for this video from. Because I mean, it's great. Again, it's really good footage, but it's from a different, different, it's a completely different kettle of fish to what we got for the Wonderwall one. Yeah. Um, so I think in doing the Wonderwall thing, I started thinking, I was doing that and I was thinking, oh, so I found that. I found this video. I forgot I had. I need. I wonder if I have any other stuff that I have, um, just sitting there, ready, waiting to be used for other videos coming up. And then realised that I had basically, I essentially took a what I would call a business trip <laughs> to the west coast of America about a year and a half ago with um, our friend and colleague Toby Street, who um, comes and plays with us sometimes, but fantastic trumpet player. And he was over there in L.A. He was going to start a tour with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Um, and he said, oh, I'm, I've got them to change my flight. I'm going to go a week early. Um, anyone fancy coming, coming along for a week? And, and I just thought, oh, hang on, this is a really good opportunity to um, basically get some stock footage. Not, I had some ideas of what for at the time, but it, it varied. There was one idea of us putting out some karaoke style in in the home karaoke videos um to kind of give a little bit of new life to our old album so there was that so i thought i thought i could just film lots of uh landscapes or famous uh monuments and stuff um and then we could put some lyrics and maybe green screen some people onto those um areas and then the other thing was get some external shots uh if i uh, ever want to do any sort of any short film stuff which I might do at some point um, if I can write if I can actually write a script um, and sort of have like uh, you know scenes that take place inside a house but you you know you always have that establishing shot don't you and like you think about friends the flat in friends or whatever it's, it's like or time film yeah. <laughs> and it's like oh this is an outside of whatever you know someone's flat so I, I just wanted to get lots of things that would be handy to me in the future. And I just filmed pretty constantly for like six days. Um, and so um, Toby is in a, in a little bit of that footage. So, so I was like, what? well... Hang on, hang on. This... Is, that, is that him on the skateboard? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I just thought you were like is weirdly it? following a skateboarder with a camera. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right, that's so, Toby. Amazing. So basically, it, um, in keeping with, with the whole, we've talked about, you know, L.A., vibe of of the arctic monkeys around this era and um and yeah dave gagan our trumpet player was um talking about the video that they did for it which mm. was like in a car and stuff driving around la um and i was like i just thought well yeah i've basically got, <laughs> this. I've got this like i 
I have loads of LA footage. It's ridiculous, but I do. So um, I pieced it together kind of based on that. And that's uh, great. yeah. What part of LA is it, Barn? So is it a it's, beach? Uh, yeah, it's, well, it's um, Santa Monica Pier and Venice Beach. Uh, and uh, there's a bit of Muscle Beach there as well. Oh, nice. M- that muscular sound that you're talking about. <laughs> um, <laughs> Did you do any chin-ups while you were there, Barney? No, I tried to film a, a bloke do some chin-ups, but he caught me filming and he stopped. I'm <laughs> embarrassed. Do you, see, uh, do you see Arnie? Uh, didn't didn't no. Arnie hang out? He was not there. It's not a tumour. Put that DSLR away. Stop filming me. Don't tell me. Stop, stop filming me immediately. Oh, here he is. I didn't realise you were here, Arnie. <laughs> hey, thanks, guys. Stop filming me now. Thank, thanks for letting me film in your fine state, Governor. This, this is a ferret. It's my pleasure. It's yeah. my pleasure. Yes. So, um, what, what do you, yeah. Uh, basically, that, that day, well, a lot of it, Oh, it's all it's all over the place actually. So a lot of it is down at Venice Beach, and Toby and I were uh, really interested in like hiring some skateboards and stuff. We actually hired longboards and just kind of skateboarding along this promenade. And I was just like, um, if you don't mind, Toby, I'm just going to film you loads. And I actually had an idea at the time was the reason it goes it goes under the pier and out the other side. I was gonna it was gonna be for um, like a short film. Or or a or a a music video idea where I wanted to um, make you come out the other side of the pier and actually you're coming out of the the underside of South End Pier. <laughs> so it's like a a portal from uh, Essex to LA. Um, and so I followed Toby skateboarding through. I was on a skateboard as well, so it was a bit jolty. Did you both buy skateboards then? No, we just hired them. It was like. Ten dollars or something for three. For two so you, hours, are you actually you actually filming whilst on a longboard? I'm so I'm yeah I'm on a longboard as think of it like a Health dolly. Health and safety. Health and yeah. safety. Um, and there's a bit there's a bit that's got um, there's some amazing houses, uh, beachfront houses on the um, north side of the pier, uh, which I'm filming. And basically, Toby is is pulling, he's pushing me along like I'm just on a dolly track. And filming these houses and stuff, um, so I could like, sort of be as steady as I could with my camera. Um, but yeah, so there's so there's bits of that, and then we went up to the planetarium, uh, not planetarium, the observatory, um, which a lot of people will recognise from all sorts of films, but most recently in La La Land, um, it's featured quite heavily. So we went up there, and you get you can film the Hollywood sign and stuff, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to create a bit of a smorgasbord of. Um, of Los Angeles, really. Uh, and then the psychedelic nature of what Dan was talking about, that's where, yeah, I put I, I started to then colour the video and, and tie all this footage together with some colour. And there's a lot of there's a lot of purple streaks. And Dan <laughs> Dan wanted uh, a specific request after one edit I sent was, man, can I can I get more lasers coming out of my eyes? Freaking laser beams. <laughs> so I had to increase the laser beams from Dan's eyes. I um, genuinely do not remember saying that, so I must have been pretty drunk. But obviously, so I haven't mentioned, the point with this footage is that um, the bastards are obviously not there with me. So I uh, once again went back to my box of green screen goodies that was done afterwards, after I was in LA, and I just... Uh, 
popped popped you all on the beach um sort of playing a little bit and just kind of um i mean you're in like leather jackets and sunglasses in in, in hot california <laughs> wearing coats yeah, but, it, but but i think it does bring it does bring a sort of wonderfully sort of surreal yeah uh, kind of vibe to the video so like was there any other sort of creator of moving picture that you know has inspired that or you know did anything that yeah helped you i think so i think subconsciously in the back of my mind whenever i'm whenever i've been lucky enough to go to california three or four times in my life because we have fam- some family there and um but whenever i'm there i sort of uh one of the formative times i was there was i was about 16 and i was with seb and we were just listening pretty constantly to like Sublime, um, and so whenever I'm in that area, we're such I white sort, kids. Yeah, whenever I'm in that area, I sort of think about Sublime, and um, obviously they're like they're Long Beach based, or they were Long Beach based, but like their video to like Bad Fish is covered in like purple streaks and stuff. The colours they've turned up um, in um, in the grading and stuff is is all like really kind of bright yellowy and hot and then like purple running through it which is kind of exactly what i did with this it makes you feel like you maybe have uh maybe got a bit too much sun that day you know you yeah sat on, the, sat on the beach like drinking coronas yeah very very saturated um yeah highly saturated in color also their other video what i got um which is one of my favorite songs ever um it is all that's filmed down like on it's long beach but it's similar like there's a girl's uh, a girl um uh like rollerblading on the promenade and stuff so it was all yeah it was all kind of very tied in with that and i filmed um tons of footage of uh skateboarders in um the in the ramps like the bowl there's a massive big skateboarding bowl um at venice beach and i just filmed them for ages and there was like was a pretty amazing like little kid who was just doing all these tricks and stuff it's just filmed all these all these people and then but then i sort of played around with the timing of it and i made them jolty and sort of hang in the air at certain moments in the music just but i wasn't afraid i didn't want to be afraid of um being quite abstract with the the video it didn't need to like be like what this clearly isn't happening those those guys clearly aren't on the beach look they just disappeared briefly it's like well yeah i wanted it to be really jolty and um because I feel like that's what the track's like. It's like that that chainsaw thing with the trombones and stuff. It's heavy, heavy vibrato. And I wanted people to be popping in and out um, it, on the videos, just like disappearing and, and, and skateboarders like um, almost freezing in midair and stuff like that. Well, I think that's the thing, isn't it? If you were to leave all that stuff as is, it would all be very pedestrian. It's pretty boring and, footage, you know... really, when you just look at it raw, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and what we you know what you know would needs must when we we you know we really want to get a video out to put on YouTube, uh, which this is by the way. If you'd like to go and see the video, it's on our YouTube channel. Um, but you're going to have to do something with it because yeah. otherwise, you know, you, you're in this spot where we need a video. We've got this footage that will match perfectly, but you're gonna yeah. You know, there's always going to have to be something done to it to make it. It's pretty work. amazing that you managed to to make this video basically out of thin air. Kind of, but I you know I went out there knowing I was making it for something. I knew it would come in handy and. I've said that a couple of times on these episodes of these podcasts that it just it never hurts to have the footage. Just film everything, never delete. Mm. Um, you'll you'll need it at some point. And um, yeah, so that was that. One. Oh, and the Thank other the God. other thing that it really sorry you asked Dicky about like what director or, or whatever. 
Yeah. I remember getting this DVD at Christmas uh, in like 2000, I think, or 2001. I was obsessed with Tenacious D, and it was this bumper DVD. I don't even have it anymore. I bought you that. You bought me that, I think, Seb, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. know where it went. Maybe you have it, but it had like six DVDs it in it, and it contained <laughs> pretty much everything Tenacious D had ever done in front of a camera. And um, some of that was like a sitcom that was pretty good. Um, but but uh, there was also um, a ton of music videos made by the very successful director, Spike Jones with Zed. Um, and he had made all these videos. And I remember one, um, me and Toby went out to the desert um, on this trip, actually, to Palm Springs. Um, that's where his tour was going to start. And... Um, very, you know, very near. Um, is it? It's quite near Joshua Tree, isn't it? Is that where people go? Or is that in? Am I totally wrong about it? Anyway, it's the de- Joshua Tree's in the desert, isn't it? It's somewhere hot. And people and go and take drugs at the Joshua Tree and go all psychedelic, and laser beams come out of their eyes. Yeah, but Palm Springs. That's a bit listening to listening to you too. It's more like a retirement kind of. Oh no, but it? I'm talking about like well, on so on the way <laughs> to Palm Springs. Ah, uh, right. Driving in that like desolate. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Joshua because we were going to go there. I think. Or maybe I'm imagining. Anyway, whatever. I'm just looking it up on Google Maps. So I'll let you yeah. know in a minute. I'm, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's near. And um, so there's this episode, there's a music video episode where like Jack Black and Kyle Gast um, from Tenacious D like take some psychedelics and and pink and and uh, purple hazy stuff. It starts happening and, and they start seeing things in the desert. And I just thought it was uh, really funny and that stuck with me. So I don't know. I just kind of, kind of had all these things in the back of my mind making it but i couldn't make too many creative decisions with it really because i only had the footage i had so basically everything i had went in and i kept well, one one yeah. bit of footage back for another video Ooh, exciting oh nice. palm springs is next to joshua yeah. tree oh i mean google Maps says it's about a 50 mile drive which um in in america terms is basically the next town it's down the road isn't it, That's it. Yeah. Well, what we have got in this video Thanks for the thanks for the, uh, the the map advice there, Seb. What, That's right. What, I can look anything up actually. I've got got my com- my computer oh my and gosh. the internet. You've got the internet here. Oh wow! Yeah, I've got all that. Got now, all yeah. that. You have to in lockdown, don't you? In the video, what is what probably throws a few people off is there is a lovely shot of our drummer extraordinaire Rick Ellsworth holding a trombone. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> holding a trombone, flashing. Rick, was that the best day of your life so far? Well, this this has come as news to me. Um, oh, you <laughs> watched, watched it, it mate. <laughs> no, watched it. <laughs> You've not watched it. Can oh I, my um, god! Can I? Can I? Can I watch it now? You, you um, and the rest of the nation, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> oh god! How, you watch it. You watch it, so, and then we'll have you back on. You'll have you back on. But I mean, you know, the day we put a trombone in your hands just to film some footage that must have been wonderful for you, right? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. It was. Um, <laughs> Rick, Rick's like, I'd, sorry, I actually don't know when this happened. I'm, <laughs> what? I'm, I'm trying. Can you just refresh my memory when this happened? You were in my living room in front of a green screen. Oh yeah, yeah, and I was yeah, yeah. I remember. Yeah, that was a good day, wasn't it? That was nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh mate, I will. I, I'll tell you what. I'll watch it. I'll watch the video. <laughs> all right. I'll- it's good of you. It's good of you, Rick. That. <laughs> <laughs> It's the last video I'll do that will use any green screen footage of you lot because we have exhausted it, I believe. But um, yeah, it was nice to pop you in that LA um, sort of um, in that location, even if it was artificially. 
Um, yeah, total, that's the only way you're going to get me yeah, in full black jacket up. and whatnot in the desert. Yeah, yeah. But there's one bit of footage I kept back. I will talk about it more in the future. But it was um, I had a, a complete, uh, a, almost a complete game of basketball. I filmed and didn't touch my camera. I just left it on tripod, filming some people playing basketball. Um, and actually, it's created. It's it's sort of ended up as being a nice backdrop to actually do in a way, one of those karaoke videos we talked about. Um, so we've used it on another track. Yeah, which we'll talk about mm. in uh, in uh, episode, mm. maybe probably five or six, I think it'll be. Um, but yeah, moving on, because we're probably getting towards the end of our podcast. Absolutely. But I just want to bring you in a bit more, Rick. Um, what I find interesting that you mentioned earlier, because I mean, I'm quite fascinated by drums. I th- I'm, you know, because obviously quite a primal instrument, but I think they're brilliant. Um, but you mentioned, obviously, you're quite influenced by Ringo. Yes. And obviously a lot of people out there who don't know better would be like, oh, but they said he's not even the best drummer in the Beatles. They're quite wrong, aren't they? Like, because obviously, said, like you're saying, he's got, he's such a characterful drummer. You can tell what he is. Just sort of talk to, can you talk to us a bit about like, yeah, just talk to us why he is one of your influences. Ringo. Um, it's, I, I, I think he is, the thing is about Ringo is, so if you can think of three drummers that you really like, um, they're all they will be it will be in their th- top three. Ringo will be in their top three. Do you do, do you know what I mean? He's, he's a drummer's drummer. He's had a massive influence. Like, yeah, he's and um, he's he's very different. I mean, I I make a real point of the stu- to the students that I teach, um, and I make um I make you know I make them listen to Abbey Road and and um. I mean, the amount of times that I've sort of um, impressed come together on 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 the kids that I teach, you know, I've just countless times. Um, just the the one thing about him, just like in come together, right? You've got you've got this floor tom groove, you know, got in the verse, and if you can make that sound good, then you're 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 a badass you know that's 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 ringo mm. that's it because it's just one sound but it's about it's about feel yeah. and what you do they're both they're different levels of velocity aren't they on each sound oh well, he's like a classic case of like vibe over pre- precision you know like mm. vibe over virtuosity i think yes which is totally different to like you know when we we're talking about the killers and arctic monkeys and you know, block party, Matt Tong and block party. You know, it's it's just a completely different thing. Um, you do hear you do hear the flip side of Ringo quite a lot. I mean, there's the famous Quincy interview where he was slagging off everybody, and does Ringo got a complete you know pummeling? You know how you know he just couldn't get he couldn't get this 15 second take together, and they you know they told him to go and get some food, and then they got in a jazz drummer to do it, and. They just, you know, there was all this, all this nonsense. Um, but you know, it's the thing is, is it, it the, the he he met, he he is part of it's he he was part of a unit, and just you know the the, the sort of the comp the, the composition of his of his music you know, of his drum beats, um, the. Um, and 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 of course you know he has there's um there's a there's an incredible solo as well in um a tune called the end and it's just 
know it for memory just just hearing it it's so simple but just like just iconic Rick that sounds I can hear that when you do your drum solos there's a lot yeah. of that comes yeah. through you can tell how influenced yeah, you are just, well, this is- just drive just drive something that something because you can immediately just get on board with that oh shut up Bert <laughs> I think it's about like a musician's ability to do what is perfect for the setting or the band they're playing in or at any one moment in time, isn't it? And I guess Ringo Ringo did that, you know, he was constantly, he was the perfect drummer for the Beatles, hmm. right? That people say that, you know, some people are kind of, oh, he wasn't a very good drummer, but then it's often answered by, but he was perfect for the Beatles. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and, and in the end, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, I'm sure, like... I'm pretty sure that he's he's probably not a, a bossy drummer, is Ringo. You couldn't imagine him just like going, what? I don't even think he did the countings actually. I think <laughs> I think I think it was either Paul or John. Um yeah. I don't think he did it. He's completely you know, he's completely different, but That's down to his character though, right? I mean obviously Lennon known as quite a fiery character, he was probably like, I'm counting this one in boys sort of thing. Mm. Whereas Ringo was doing what he was told until, you know, well, yeah, does it have something to do with him kind of coming into the frame a bit later on and the, maybe the previous drummer, like however they worked with him, maybe Ringo just was a bit, had to be a bit more easygoing because he was the, the newest guy on the scene sort of thing. I, but it's just going back to what we were saying about like like the, the characteristics of our drummer um, where you get, I mean, if you usually if a drummer counts in something, it usually gets, it, and if it's convincing enough, it you know, people, you know, your band responds to it the band in front of you responds to it and um have you ever counted in and the band hasn't even responded at all um are you talking about this in particular band or are you no but um, just have you ever counted the band go one two three four and then nothing happens yes i have been so full of my own confidence where um i've been like in a um i've done like a a a function band and i've just like and the singer has gone, literally gone like this, like that, you know, because obviously... <laughs> oh, we have seen... to do that to you a lot. Like, don't, don't count the singer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's, 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 yeah. It's too just, keen just to get with it sometimes. Just yeah, it's just one of those things, what, isn't it? What just yeah. happened, Rick just waved a hand. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Um yeah, How would you count in uh, Happy Birthday, for example? <laughs> oh, oh, no! <laughs> Let's let's not go there because we're about to wrap this up surely, and uh, we can't end this in an argument. Oh. What, what I'd like to say, obviously, is like part of our show and a couple of the album things, and what we like to get into the show a lot. And talking about these drummers from like you know sixties and the seventies, a lot of what drummers liked to do when they were given free reign, a lot of what happened in in shows back then was the drummers would be left to their own device to do a big drum solo. Like, you know, there's famous John Bonham solos and Keith Moon solos that would go on for about 10 minutes or so. And what I love is that we've sort of brought you in to do... You do that in the brass. I don't know whether we ever asked you or we just thought, Sonic, I'm, you I remember just do when it. noticing it first happened, uh, I was very confused. It's like, <laughs> what is... He's been playing for five minutes. Is he going to come on? <laughs> oh, he's doing anything. Okay. Yeah. And you do... And, you, and like, sometimes the gig... We, you know, I can notice that we'll do a gig and it's going, really, it's going nicely, and then we'll get a point where, oh, Rick's going to do a drum solo, and that's going to be brilliant. And you'll go, depending on whether Vicky's there or not. If Vicky's there, it's double the double the length. Yeah. Um, but you'll do a drum solo. I've heard that sentence and- before. If Vicky's there, <laughs> <double the length. laughs> 
<laughs> but you'll do a drum solo. And for us, it's great because we'll sort of sneak off to the side of the stage and have a pint. And But you get the room going. And the room, yeah. sometimes, like, the atmosphere after you've done your drum solo is completely different to when you started it. Like, the crowd have just so just lost all their inhibitions and they just, from there on to the end of the gig, they just go for it. And it's just amazing. I think, you know, I think the 80s kind of, put a massive barrier on those big drum solo things happening because of all the synth drums and everything came in. Oh, we don't want any of that anymore. And then I don't know, to see you bringing that sort of stuff back. Like, I think it's great. I think, you know, you've opened it up to a whole new audience. I think, yeah, it's, uh, but I grew up the, 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 the bands that I used to, I mean, I, I've spent so much time just watching drum solos on YouTube and stuff. And it's just, if you can do it, vaguely well then you know and if you can if if you can just be so if you can absolutely give it a hundred percent it doesn't matter if it's like really not if it's you know it's a very technical effort or whatever if you can just absolutely go for it people love that but you know everyone loves a trier don't they so you know <laughs> you, know, you so, are not a trier you are you know you are truly virtuosic at the drums and i think that that's oh. mate it's nice you know like you can as chris was saying the the energy in the room kind of lifts, you know, because you are you're there doing some stuff behind the drums, which, you know, sort of average Joe uh, that's come to see the band maybe has never seen before. So, whilst you know, Brastards really relates to the audience and people are singing along and they feel included. Now and again, people are, I think, seeing and hearing something which is you know a bit new to them, and I think your drum solos can definitely be included in that. There was there was one gig that we did uh, at Bournemouth Academy. Um, that's we the one. Playing... That's the one I remember. That's the first time I noticed you did it. <laughs> there was a. Um... I was like, "What is <laughs> we, happening?" We, we were meant to. We were meant. To, <laughs> we were meant to be playing like a, a student ball, but they got their days wrong, um, um, and so we got booked to do a. They, they booked the venue and us for like a Friday night, but they sold the night to all the students for a Saturday night. And we ended up playing like the O2 Academy in Bournemouth to like eleven students, and I've got footage. Um, there's footage of me just going absolutely ape shit. Um, um, I've seen you know, more just, people in sound checks than were at that gig. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I was literally on volume eleven for about ten minutes. Yeah, yeah. Just going, yeah. and all the lights are going off, and yeah. everything's going mental, and. And the, and I can't remember who was filming, but it pans out to the to the audience. It's just like a couple of a couple of students with their backs to me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but what you were saying, Dicky, to Rick, there it goes back to what I was saying earlier about that's my favourite thing about your playing, Rick, is like it's that no nonsense. It's completely unapologetic, um, and it, uh, in terms of like the the audience are gonna have to bloody love it because that's what they're getting you know what i mean they, they, there's no yeah. do you do you, do you want a solo there's nothing like that it's just like you give them what they're getting and that's what they're getting and you count us in um <laughs> you know with no doubt about it that we're gonna come in and follow your counting and it's um it it has really like kind of added a sound and a vibe to our band i think because we should have really given you some doubts by now in the way that <laughs> yeah. sometimes come in or, yeah. or don't come in. <laughs> but you stuck with it. You stuck with it. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for sticking with us, Rick. I, d- I just uh, wanted to mention something to Danya, yeah, because 
you know, who's been a bit self self deprecating earlier, you know, it's usually as oh man, yeah, I suppose I'll just be a bass trombonist first and maybe a musician second. But um well, he's Australian. All uh, oh, right. <laughs> oh, is that oh, I, thought that was, I thought that was pretty good. Pretty good Canadian. I'm joking. Oh, I'm maybe joking. as good I'm as joking. Daniel's Northern Impression. Oh no. Uh, no, I do a great no, it's good. no. No, I'm rubbish at I can't play music at all. Yeah. <laughs> no, but, um, <laughs> Yeah, he was sort of saying, oh, I'll... Get to the chopper. <laughs> he was sort of saying, oh, I'll always be a bass trombonist first. But actually, chronologically, I don't know... I don't think you were a bass trombonist first. I think... Am I right in saying that you were a guitarist first? Yeah, yeah. I, I started playing guitar when I was, like, seven. And, um, you know, uh, classical guitar, basically. I got, I got up to about grade six. You know, little footstool... Um, I had to, had curtains going on, round glasses. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty special stuff. But um, and then eventually, probably about eleven or twelve, I kind of binned the classical thing and just got an electric guitar and started learning like smashing pumpkins tunes off the radio and stuff and uh, farting around with that. And then when I was about thirteen is when I started playing the trombone. Yeah, so that's the that's the real girl getter, isn't it? What's put, that? Put the guitar down, pick up the trombone. Well, I'd ob- it was obviously a lost cause by then. It, like any female attention was like just out the window. So may as well play the trombone. May as well just pick up the trombone for the. That's it. Just completely ruin your life. But you know, I think yourself that background. You know, if it's if it's okay, you know, for me to say so, has, you know, created obviously an, uh, firstly an incredibly well-rounded musician because you know with the the other stuff that you do, you're obviously an accomplished guitarist, but you also play bass and fiddle around with production and stuff so and it's currently writing some really good tunes by the way that i've been privy yeah. to mm-hmm. yeah exactly oh, yeah. Well, so you know rick rick and seb have been like kind of laying down some stuff for that i've been writing which has been really kind of them and stuff to do but hopefully get a few things out there and you know potentially sell some library tracks which might help pay the mortgage as this uh pandemic carries <laughs> on but um uh, i i really enjoy kind of writing music like more more than i even realized i did it was it's it's kind of like an itch that i couldn't scratch while doing a west end show in the evening and and like raising kids and stuff it's uh, e- even now with you know nothing to do professionally i i can only really ever crowbar like an hour or two hours a day into actually doing the stuff i want to do but uh yeah, hopefully one positive for me personally out of this lockdown is I've I've got you know logic and and everything all set up and uh, and I, I feel like I'm getting quite a lot better at using it. So it's it's uh, I'm looking forward to sort of writing more music, maybe writing some stuff for Brastids as well too, or like some some kind of hybrid version of Brastids. And you know if, if people don't want to play my stuff in the group, we can always play it under another name or something. But yeah it's, it's good it's it, there are some positives to having no work at all <laughs> absolutely yeah nice one right thank you ever so much for listening this has been podcast number three um if you're a fan of the strokes and particularly the track reptilia tune in to our next episode number four where we'll be talking about everything that went into making that record thank you very much goodbye Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.